Good morning. Christ is risen. All right, let's try one more time. So if you're new to this, welcome. Uh, let us teach you. Uh, so when in, the, in the church, in the history of the church, when the church would say Christ is risen in whatever language, they would respond, he is risen indeed. So let's do that, shall we? Are you ready? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. May that echo not only through the hallways of Miami Lakes Middle School, but also in our hearts and our families. I know this afternoon we're going to have a bunch of family over with a meal, and uh, I pray that it echoes in how we do that and the life of God that is in us. Even though physically you may be a little tired, may the life of Jesus Christ be echoing in you and in your families. And to that end, may that life bring you hope. As a matter of fact, the title of our message this morning is Resurrection Hope. Resurrection Hope. Hope, And that's the theme this morning, resurrection hope. And we're going to be taking a look at this theme of resurrection hope through the eyes of the Apostle Peter. Now you may be asking, why in the world are we going to look at resurrection hope through the eyes of the Apostle Peter? Well, here's why. We as a church are currently preaching through Peter's first letter, 1 Peter. And we're walking through that sermon series. And so we want to get Peter's thoughts in 33 AD when Jesus was crucified because the letter that we're studying was written by Peter in 65 AD. In fact, 1 Peter was written right before Peter was martyred, before he died for Christ, 65 AD. So we want to kind of jump into Peter's mind, you know, some 32 years before he wrote this letter. And he wrote this letter to Christians, actually suffering Christians in modern-day Turkey, but he's writing it to Christians today. But we also want to take a look at Peter's perspective of resurrection hope, because church, Peter knows what it's like to have your hope crushed, to have your hope crushed. As a matter of fact, the apostle Peter the night before Jesus was crucified, adamantly stated to the Lord, if everyone else betrays you, I will not betray you. Peter was the one that boasted with the loudest voice. I've often wondered, I am Cuban, if Peter was part Cuban. Because he had the loudest voice that night. And he said, Lord, I will never leave you. And just a few hours after uttering those words, Peter denied Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us he broke down and wept a broken man. His hope slowly dying as his Savior hung on a cross. He was a man who knew hopelessness and tremendous shame He was a man who knew what it was to have your hope shaken, temporarily lost. Where is it? And hope's very important, church. See, hope is this confident expectation for a better tomorrow. It's why many of my people got on rafts and, and made of inner tubes and risked their lives for something better for them or their children. 
And not just my people, but many people in South Florida came to this country with hope for something better than what they were experiencing in their own country, whether it was war or poverty or discrimination. And they came here and they had hope and they did incredible things. But when we lose our hope, that is devastating. Peter lost his hope. He lost it. And maybe some of you are sitting here this morning saying, Al, I may not be totally devoid of hope, but it's slipping away. And friends, listen to me. Hope, hope is so important and hopelessness is so devastating. The human soul can withstand a lot of suffering and adversity, but it cannot long withstand hopelessness. When we lose our confident expectation for something better, When we lose our hope, our soul begins to slowly wither. And if left untreated, hopelessness eventually crushes our spirit. And you may be there. Peter certainly knew what it was like. And and the illustration I can give you of this, it comes from the athletic realm, no surprise. So whatever athletic endeavor you might think, men or women, whatever it might be, figure skating, basketball, football. Right now, the NCAA basketball tournament is going on where the college teams are battling to see who's the best team in the nation. And and I watched a game yesterday where, where the star player of a team lost hope. He had a poor game. He felt like he betrayed his coach and his fans and his teammates. He didn't mean to, but he just did. And his team was losing by 18 points at the end of the game. And he just kind of walked off the court dejected. And he went over and sat on the end of the bench. And he sat there with his head in his hands and he was weeping. That's a picture of Peter. Far more important circumstance for Peter. But get that picture in your head. You are, you are dejected. You are hopeless. The game is over. There's just a few more seconds. All is lost. You're at the end. You've taken yourself out of the game. You're at the end of the bench. You're seated and you're weeping and you're broken and you're dejected and you're discouraged. You may not be exactly there, but you're on your way there. Whether it's in your business, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's with your children, whether it's in growth spiritually as a Christian, you, you know you, you're betraying others. You're betraying the Lord. You don't mean to, but you, it's like you have no power. This guy had no power to win the game. It was over. 33 AD. But listen, something happened because that picture of Jesus in 30, or Peter in 33 AD is correct. But then in 65 AD, 32 years later, Peter writes these words. They're up on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through 5. Peter writing to these Christians in 65 AD, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. And he went on to write in chapter 2, 
First Peter 2, 4 through 6, as you come to him, a living stone, that him there is Jesus Christ, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Now listen, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Peter writes here of a living hope. G- Peter writes here of not being put, Peter writes here of not being put to shame. What happened? The resurrection of Jesus Christ happened. That is what happened. Peter was on the bench, deserted, dejected. He had denied his Lord and Savior. And then the resurrection happened. The resurrection happened. And so, here's my, here's my question to you. Are you, Christian, sliding toward hopelessness? Have you, Christian, subtly gone to the bench? In whatever circumstance in your life, in whatever place you are in, it could be in the church, it could be in your home, it could even be at work, it could be with your family members, you, you just think, it's over, man. We're losing by 18 points and there's 30 seconds left. And I've not played a very good game. I've not been a very good person, a very good father, mother, sister, brother, church member, employee. Something has happened and you are dejected and you are on the end of the bench. And here's my prayer for you this morning as I preach this. That God would speak resurrection hope back into your heart. But I also want to speak to you non-Christian. Because you see, for the Christian, he's on the end of the bench, but he's on the team. You're not on the team. And, and, and my, my appeal to you, my appeal, I, I, my prayer for you is that this morning, you would hear the message that would put you on the team. God would reveal the gospel of Jesus Christ to your heart and you would understand it and you would repent and you would believe and you would leave here on the team. Now listen, it's painful when the team loses. I got that. That's for most of us in this room. We've experienced it at times. But you, but you got to be on the team. I'm praying God would put you on the team. And that's my prayer as we go to Peter's life in 33 AD. And as the camera zooms in on Peter like it did on that player from that team last night, and he's weeping on the end of the bench, we want to step into that world. So let's go back to that world, 33 AD. The record of what happened there, at least a portion of what happened, is found in John chapter 21. So if you have your Bible, turn to John 21, beginning in verse 15. If you don't have a Bible, we have someone on this back table. Or if you notice someone doesn't have a Bible, then share yours with them. Before we drop into what Jesus said to Peter here in John 21, verse 15. Before we drop into that, I've got to set it up for you. So if you allow me another moment to set the context for what we're about to read in John 21, 15. So here it is. It's about several days after Jesus' resurrection. Several days. We don't know how many days. 
And Jesus is with his disciples in Galilee. So Jerusalem, and then a little bit to the north is Galilee. If you look on a map, you'll see this large, it looks like a, a large lake. It's called the Sea of Galilee. These guys were all fishermen from that area. Jesus was from Nazareth, that area. And so they're up in Galilee, probably on the shore And Jesus is about to talk to Peter. We're going to read those words in a moment. But you need to know this as well. It's several days after the the resurrection of Christ. But I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes. To do that, I need to share with you one more scripture. It's up on the screen. It's in Mark chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. It's what happened on resurrection morning. Now this here is actually resurrection morning. It's Easter morning. And it's what the angels told the three women that came to the tomb to to bring spices to, to kind of anoint the body of Jesus. And this is what the angel said to them. And read it with me there on the screen. And he said to them, he being the angel, do not be alarmed. I mean, come on, man. It's a cemetery. They're at a grave. And it's in a cave. Dave couldn't resist. And, and so they're walking into the cave. It's dark. And they walk in and, you know, they go to the, the scene of the crime and there's no body. I would be afraid. You would be afraid. But the angel says to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Yes, I seek him in a tomb because he was dead. I saw him. And then he gives them the the, the pronouncement that all eternity, everybody has been waiting for, for all eternity. He has risen. Hence, he's not here. See the place where they laid him. Now here's verse seven. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. So the text we're going to read is several days after. You know how you watch the movies and they show you a flash of what happened? And then it says three days earlier. Well, this is, you know, several days earlier. This is why they're in Galilee. They had all been in Jerusalem. Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. Jesus is going up to Galilee. Tell the disciples and Peter to meet me in Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now imagine you're Peter. You're sitting on the end of the bench, right? Clock's winding down, and suddenly one of the Marys comes up and taps you on the shoulders, and he said, yes, Peter, I don't know how to say this, but Jesus is alive. He's alive? Yes. And he said, go, because he wants to see the disciples. And Peter, he mentioned you by name in Galilee. So imagine you're Peter. It's several days now. You are walking up to Galilee going, oh, man. I am the big mouth that said I would die with him. And I'm the big mouth that denied him, betrayed him. What's he going to say to me? I mean, you're kind of happy that he's alive. But you're really worried about what he's going to say to you. And some of you may be like that this morning. You're really happy that Jesus is alive. But you know you've been a little bit, like, not good. You know that you've denied him in some of the things you've said or not said. You know that you've disappointed him somehow, some way. All of us have. I have. You got a holy God who's just risen from the dead. He wants to talk to me? He, he said, Peter? Yes. The disciples and Peter. You know why God said that? Because all of us can relate to Peter. He happened to be the one that said it. 
I'll never deny you, and then denied him. But is it, that's all of us. He wants to talk with all of us today. And you wonder, what's he going to say to me? He's got to be disappointed in me. Well, let's find out what he said to him. John chapter 21, verse 15. You there? You got to read it with me. I mean, not out loud, but, you know, with your eyes. You got to see that this is the word of God. John 21, 15. Ah, I got to set it up one more way. Sorry. It was in my notes and I just didn't see it. All right. Now we're at our text, right? But I got to tell you this part. In verse 15 of John 21, Jesus is going to start talking to Peter. But right before that happened, this is a great, this is a great narrative, right? So they're fishing at the Sea of Galilee several days after Jesus' resurrection. They've heard the news that Jesus is alive, but they go back to Galilee because he told them to go there, and they're fishermen. So what do fishermen do, right? They go fishing. And as so many of you wonderful August fishermen are, uh, are noted to have done, they fish all night, and it tells us in John 21 that they caught Nothing, zero, nada. Professional fishermen fishing on the Sea of Galilee fish all night and they catch nothing. Anybody relate to that? Don't raise your hand. All right. They row back to shore. We're not going to read it, but this is what the earlier part of chapter 21 says. And they look up and they go, there he is. Now this is probably the third time they'd seen him. So it's not like the first time. But they realize Jesus is standing on the shore. I, I love what happens here. It's another proof that, that Peter is got to be Cuban. Because he jumps right in the water. Jumps right in the water. Very emotional guy. <laughs> Very emotional guy. And it goes on to say that Jesus said, hey guys, did you catch anything? Of course he knew they didn't catch anything. And they went, uh, t- can you imagine you're tired? It's been all night, you know. And, no, and he goes, catch. Jesus, a carpenter, but God, (laughs) tells them, throw your nets on the right side of the boat. They throw their nets on the right side of the boat, and they catch so many fish, they cannot pull the net up on the boat. And it says there, it's a wonderful little text, it says, they caught 153 fish. You know who I think counted those fish? Peter. Because the last thing Peter wanted to do when they got to shore was talk with Jesus. So Peter says, you know what, I'll clean the nets, I'll I'll count the fish. Right? Right? Because he knows he blew it. But Jesus had prepared a charcoal fire and he cooked him some breakfast. You're hungry after going out fishing all night and not catching anything. And he cooked, he had a nice breakfast for them. Now let's read our text. John 21, verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, I could just imagine, he said, Peter, come on, let's take a walk on the beach. It's right on the beach, the fire's going been fishing all night. He smells like fish. He says, Peter, come, come with me. And Peter's thinking, this is it. He's going to yell at me. What's he going to say to me? Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Do you, Peter, love me more than these? And, and that, that message was an x-ray question right into Peter's heart. Why? Because you remember what Peter said? The night before Jesus was crucified, he basically said, I love you more than these. 
Well, look at it. It's up on the screen. Mark chapter 14, verses 29 to 31. This is right after Passover. They're walking from Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives, which overlooks Jerusalem. Peter said to him, Jesus, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, and now Jesus prophesies to to Peter, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he, Peter, said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then they all said the same. (laughs) See, Jesus' question back in John 21, 15 got right to the heart of that boasting. Do you love me, Peter, more than all of these? And what it was intended to do, it was intended to bring conviction to Peter. Because when Peter said, I'll die with you, Jesus, he was well-intentioned. But Peter could not die with Jesus. Because only Jesus could die for the sins of mankind. Unbeliever, pay attention. Here comes the gospel in full living color. Only God in the flesh, perfect, no sin, never broke any of the laws, could then willingly go to the cross and hang there naked in shame and die for the shame that Peter would have after denying Jesus. Peter couldn't die for himself. He didn't understand that. Jesus did. He knew Peter was going to deny him. This is the essence of the gospel, friend. You and I cannot atone for our sins. We can't. We can't be good enough. We can't give enough money. We can't do enough whatever it is you think you need to do to atone for your sin, for your denial and betrayal of God. We're all born with that, and we all live it out in our lives. It's called rebellion. And only Jesus could die for the sins of his people. And so Peter just, Jesus asked him the question. And Peter just looks up at him and listen to Peter's response. In verse 15, he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Lord, you, you know that I love you. You know my love is imperfect. You know my love has limits. You know my love betrayed you. But I, I do love you, God. I mean, we're all Peter, aren't we? Lord, you know I love you. Now, Peter's still sitting on the bench. He's thinking, here it comes. But listen to what Jesus says to him at the end of verse 15. He, Jesus, said to him, feed my lambs. Peter, get back in the game. Peter, get off the bench. Peter, I called you to be my apostle. I called you to be my pastor. Peter was the pastor of the church in Rome when he wrote his letter in 65 AD. He said, Peter, I'm putting you back in the game because I died for your sin. I gave my life for you. I endured the shame and took it on the cross for you. And now I'm clothing you with righteousness and I'm getting you back in the game. Peter, feed my lambs to to peter's amazement the lord jesus had forgiven him the lord jesus had put him back in the game and the lord jesus had said it's not over yet it's just starting it's just starting he's back in the game now you might be asking yourself well al why does he go on then in verse 16 and 17 to repeat the same question read it with me he said to him a second time simon son of john do you love me he peter said 
Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And by this point, I mean, Peter is thinking, it's abuso. I mean, it's like, come on. I mean, Lord, I blew it. I'm, a, I'm agreeing with you that I blew it. Why are you asking me now a second time? And then Jesus just looked at him and said a third time in verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. That's just a nice way of saying he was just, he was upset. He was broken. I mean, it's like, don't kick me while I'm down. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, now listen to what he says, a little different. You know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Here's why he said it three times. Because Peter denied Jesus three times. This was a total recommissioning. Peter had lost his commission, if you want to use military terms. Peter had forfeited his ability to serve God. Peter felt that he was out of the game, and Jesus said, no, you're not out of the game. You are in the game. You denied me three times. I'm going to affirm you three times. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And in the midst of it, Peter says, Lord, you know me. You know me. And I would say to you, that the Lord knows you this morning. Whatever it is in your mind where you've denied the Lord, whatever it is in your mind that you're thinking right now, wherever you would think, somehow I I have failed my Lord. I, I feel such shame. My love is so imperfect. The Lord knows everything. He knows you. And, and if you, if you are one of his elect, he died for your sins. And if you're here, I'm believing you are because you're hearing my voice. And I'm believing that he will penetrate your mind and your heart. And he will speak to you words of life. And you will respond. And your response at times will be imperfect. But you will do what Peter did. You will fall on your knees. You say, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Perfect my love. See, what, what's happening here is gospel. He's saying... It's not your love that qualifies you. It's mine. He's saying, though you deny me, I can never deny you because I've chosen you before the foundations of the world and I will forgive that. It's my love. I put you in the game. I'll keep you in the game. Get up off the bench. We'll put you on the bench as thinking it was your goodness, your ability to never deny me, your desire to want to die for me. But it's me who died for you. That's what qualifies you. Oh, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. He, he, he suffered shame on the cross to take our shame. There's always shame involved with sin. There's always shame involved when we deny God. Either we feel ashamed because we did things we know that are wrong, or we feel shamed because someone did things that were wrong to us, but ultimately to God. And Jesus took the shame. Hebrew says he, he, he denied or he despised the shame of the cross looking to the glory on the other side. There's glory on the other side, and it's in Christ. It's in Christ. This, this narrative ends with Jesus prophesying again for Peter. The first time he prophesied to Peter, it wasn't a great prophecy. How'd you like the Lord to say to you, hey, you're going to deny me three times before the, the rooster crows twice. Ah. But listen to the second prophecy that Jesus gives Peter. 
Look at verses 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. That is a, that is a picture of the crucifixion. Jesus is prophesying to Peter, he will be crucified. And John wants to make sure we understand that. Look at verse 19, parentheses. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Peter was crucified outside of Rome somewhere around 67 AD, somewhere around two years after he finished writing his letters, 1 and 2 Peter that we're studying, 1 Peter, he was crucified outside of Rome. But let me tell you something, friends. He was crucified as one who was a follower of Christ. Jesus ends it that way. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter was crucified as one who knew what it was to have his dead hope made alive. He he was crucified and probably crucified naked. And it was very shameful to be crucified in Rome. But he he was crucified as one who knew what it was to have his shame taken by his Savior. He was crucified as one who had confidence in his Savior. He was crucified as one who said, nothing can take my hope. It is a living hope because it is in the living Savior. Nothing can take it. No man can take it. Death cannot take it. Main point of this text is on the screen. Jesus takes our shame and puts us back in the game giving us hope in his name. Jesus takes our shame and puts us back into the game, giving us hope in his name. I want to appeal to two groups of people. Number one are those that are not even on the team. I appeal to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. Repent and believe. Corey preached a great message on Friday night. There is coming a judgment, the very judgment of God, the storm clouds of God's judgment and wrath. Jesus took that wrath for all his elect, all those who would repent and believe. And I I appeal to you, repent and believe, because if you will not hide in Christ by his grace, then one day you are facing that judgment. uh, Corey said it this way, Christian, our darkest days are behind us. The darkest day of humanity for a Christian was the day Jesus was crucified. It was for Peter. And our best days lie ahead. No fear in life or death is what we sang in Christ alone. But oh dear non-Christian, if you do not repent and believe, your darkest day is ahead of you. And I appeal to you by the power of God and the Holy Spirit and the word of God, repent and believe. But I also want to appeal to the, non, to the believer, to the, to the Christian, to the one who follows Christ. Listen, let us be like Peter. Let us follow Peter's example here. Let us acknowledge to the Lord. Let us not run away from him. We can't anyways. Let us not jump off the boat into the water when we see him on the shore. Let us not sit here and count the 153 fish because we don't want to talk to him. Oh, listen, the Lord wants to talk to you. He will talk to you. Listen, you cannot avoid him. But he's not going to speak to you if you are his child with judgmental, wrathful tones of punishment. 
No, Jesus was punished for your sin. He will speak to you as a father. And yes, he will discipline, but he will speak to you as a father. And what he's saying to us is get back in the game. Some of us are on the bench. Some of you are on the bench in relationships. Some of you are on the bench in the church. Some of you are on the bench in your families. Some of you are on the bench and not being the fathers or the mothers or the brothers or the sisters or or the children that God has called you to be. And God and Jesus is coming and, and breathing resurrection hope into your souls. And he's saying, get off the bench. I won, and I'm putting you in the game. It may cost you your life. It cost Peter his life. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Get off the bench, and by the way, before the game's over, you will be crucified. That's what Jesus said to him. And Peter, man, he sprung off that bench. Let's go. Why? Because he had life. He wasn't afraid of death on this earth. Cry out to your merciful God as Peter did declaring him the Lord who took your shame and sin, whose love makes you acceptable, and that in Christ alone. Friends, our hope is found in Christ alone. Let us pray. Worship team, would you join me up front? Father, I pray in your name that you would give life to dead hearts this morning. Those that have heard my voice I pray they would have heard your voice through your word. And Lord, there would be understanding that you hung on the cross naked and ashamed and broken, the recipient of the wrath of God to take that for us, for everyone who would repent and believe. Would you give them hearts of repentance and belief and as we're still in a heart an attitude of prayer if you're here this morning and you do not know jesus christ as your lord and savior i'm just going to ask you to consider some things number one that you would respond to god's call i might be articulating it but it is only god that can give life to your dead soul but respond the bible says you respond by repenting and believing and if you do that in a moment, we're going to all stand after I pray and, and we're going to worship. I invite you to come down and let me, let me pray with you. And Corey uh, would be here to pray with you. If you're not comfortable doing that, then if you came with someone who's a member or someone that you know is a Christian, turn to them and say, would you pray with me? Something happened. Something happened. And what Al is saying, what the Bible is saying, is making sense for the first time in my life. I want to repent and believe. And if you're here as a believer, I want to pray for you. Lord, give the believers. Lord, get us off the bench, God. Lord, there's some of us that have been on the bench for a while. We're hurt. We're broken. We feel betrayed at times. We're shamed by our own sin. But sometimes some of us are shamed because of others. What they've said about us. What they've done. We feel betrayed. But, oh, Lord, no one has been betrayed like you were betrayed. Your best friend betrayed you. On the night before you were crucified, when you needed him most. You you died for him. You died for all of us, like Peter, who are your friends. You call us your friends. Oh, church, listen. He calls you his friend. Let him breathe hope into your heart, your hopeless heart, resurrection hope, and get you off the bench. Father, show them what that looks like for each one here in this church. What does it mean to get off the bench? For some, it means giving financially. For some, it means working, serving, getting involved again, meeting with other brothers and sisters in small groups, 
Whatever it means, Lord, may it come from your life. May duty become delight in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us stand, and if you would like prayer, please come down here. Zeke, lead us in Christ alone.